Welcome to Fracking and Health, Ask an Expert. The Endocrine Disruption Exchange has been studying the health impacts from unconventional oil and gas development, also known as fracking, since 2004. In each episode, our Executive Director, Carol Kwiatkowski, asks an expert to answer a question on how fracking may affect your health. You can submit a question at TEDx.org. Welcome to episode 12, where we ask, what social stressors exist in communities impacted by fracking? I'm talking today with Dr. Stephanie Malin, Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology at Colorado State University. She studies, teaches, and writes about the community impacts of resource extraction and energy production, focusing on environmental health, justice, and socio-environmental effects. Welcome, Dr. Malin. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's start with telling us about your approach to understanding social stressors. I am a social scientist, specifically a sociologist. So I work a lot using mixed methods and community-based ethnographic methods in particular. So I go into communities and often work with community partners and use different sampling methods like network sampling to be able to talk to as many people affected by the issues I study as possible. I use survey methods, but my primary methods are talking to folks in their homes or in their places of business. So doing in-depth interviews, doing participant observations, so being in communities a lot, and also um, spending a good deal of time looking at the history of these communities and the history of the industries I study within those communities. So it's a, it's a good mix of different ways of trying to assess the real life experiences and sociological experiences of the people that I work with. What is the broad scope of community impacts you're finding in your research? What we are seeing in our research really relates to what we call socio-environmental impacts. So looking at the ways in which outcomes in the environment, things like possible air pollution or water quality issues, how people perceive those and are experiencing those within their daily lives, within their social lives, how this might affect um, their economic perspectives, political outcomes, and social lives. So what we're seeing in the field, as I do research both in Colorado and as I've done research in Pennsylvania, are two major outcomes in terms of people's daily lives, their stress levels, and their quality of life. And this really has to do with feeling uncertain about what they're living in the midst of, but then also feeling powerless. So in terms of uncertainty, there are still a lot of research and data collection efforts that are going on, and we're learning more and more every day about what the environmental and public health impacts of unconventional oil and gas production are. As people hear about that, but also know about the research that's going on, what we're hearing in our interviews are that people feel very uncertain. They're uncertain about the information that's available. They're uncertain about who to trust in terms of the industry or state regulators or environmental groups or others. And people also feel really uncertain about the information that they're able to access that is available out there, especially in terms of being able to interpret that information and use it in their daily lives to protect their own health or to reduce perceived risks in their environments. So as we're hearing about people being uncertain, 
at this community level, we're also seeing a lot of powerlessness where people, even if they had all the information in the world and it was valid, they don't know how to use that information to have any sort of control over whether or not this kind of development is going on in close proximity to their homes, to their children's schools, to other areas that are community-based and are really residential kind of areas. So what we see emerge in this context is a lot of, a great deal of community tension amid that uncertainty and powerlessness, both within neighborhoods and within communities, as well as between them, as people kind of divide and decide where they stand on the issue, but without a lot of useful information about it. And we also see a lot of, in the context of uncertainty, great concern about things that people have very little control over, like loss of property values or potential impacts to property values. As people don't know what to expect with increased seismicity from re-injecting fracking fluid and other question marks that we still have about the science, people are expressing to us in our research that they don't really know how to predict or control things that might impact something like their home, the biggest investment that most people make in their lifetimes. So to put a point on that, one of the most significant outcomes that we're seeing are diminished quality of life and increased stress levels amid uncertainty and powerlessness. And what do you think is the most challenging for residents to deal with? One of the things that has emerged as being the most challenging in the context of feeling uncertain about what the health impacts might be, what the environmental impacts of unconventional oil and gas production are, the challenge becomes a lack of access to information that is accessible and useful. So there may be a, a variety or a rich array of information, for example, on frac focus about what is in um, some of the fracking fluid recipes, for example. But people don't understand, for example, what those different chemicals are. You would need maybe a degree in toxicology to understand that. They certainly don't understand the synergistic effects. And we also, as, as citizens, right, have no insights into things like proprietary blends from, from companies. So this is just one example of how we need access to information as members of the public to be able to feel certain about what's going on in our environment. And when people don't have that, what I'm hearing from folks is that they have to spend a large amount of time in order to access any information, but then also understand anything about how to use that information in their daily lives to be able to make decisions about how to avoid risk or protect their families, for example. So I've heard in many of the interviews I've done that people think of their concern for these issues or if they're activists, their activism as a second job, that they have to spend so much time researching and learning information, meeting with public figures, meeting with neighbors, that it's, it's like they've taken on a second job. So the extreme challenge here is the disparity in resources between our community groups and members of the public who are trying to understand this issue and its possible impacts and then do something about it compared to the industry, which has a lot of that information at its disposal. So one of the things that we find um, as we're talking to people is that even if individuals and groups are really ambitious and want to spend a lot of time trying to assert local control over where development happens and how it happens, they run out of energy by the time they figure out what's going on. Oftentimes they're not able to continue 
working towards that effort. So you see a lot of burnout. And that I would say is one of the most significant challenges, along with just not having good information and feeling um, like they don't really trust, know who to trust, I should say. How can advocacy groups help citizens address these challenges? The biggest thing that advocacy groups can do to help citizens is to help create space so that people have access to information that they trust and that is verifiable in a nonpartisan and unaffiliated location, right? There's some people who trust industry, some people who trust leaders, some folks are skeptical about all of it. And it's, it would be very helpful to have kind of a clearinghouse and a space um, where, where people, both virtual and real, in terms of being able to meet, where people can learn and have data and information that they understand, and that's also translated for members of the public, so you don't have to have a specialized degree to know what you're looking at. The second most important thing that advocacy groups could do are help create is help create coalitions among the many small, often neighborhood level, social movement organizations that emerge in response to a particular well pad that might be cited or a particular land use by one of by one of the industry operators. So one thing I've seen in my hundreds of interviews now nearly that I've done in Pennsylvania and in Colorado is that people feel as if they are being divided and conquered. And I'm seeing that as well from my perspective as a researcher. So that there's not a lot of unity among activists who could really benefit from that, especially given the challenge of time and access to information I just discussed. So if advocacy groups could help build a coalition across these organizations, kind of an umbrella group that could offer advice, that might be able to offer some of the um, community building capacity that these organizations might not be able to have as small neighborhood or community level groups. That would be incredibly helpful so that people in these communities feel like they have access to information they can trust and they also have a network and community of people that is expansive. Thank you, Dr. Malin. I appreciate your time in answering our questions today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. TEDx is a nonprofit research institute funded by grants from private foundations and by donations from individuals like you who care about our health and the environment. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider making a tax-deductible gift to TEDx so we can continue bringing you the most up-to-date scientific information on the impacts of fracking on your health. Please visit our website at tedx.org for more information on what we do, to submit a question for an expert, or to make a donation. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.